0: Okay, new intro, we've changed the name, and we're still using the word paladin, paladin. I mean, it hasn't been used in the English language in about 200 years, but okay, let's go. Master of all things tabletop, with the paladins of podcast. There we go, the word paladin, 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 really? They ruin the games you love by talking rules that suck, how to build kick-ass encounters, destroy worlds, and really get your players invested. So go ahead and throw that fistful of dice at someone. Because we're going on a side quest.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Side Quests. Paladin of Podcast, Rob. I'm Paladin of Podcasting,
0: Eli.
1: (laughs) Last week we let everybody know that Craig was not going to be with us for at least two episodes because he was on a global adventure for the holidays, and he let us know that uh, how'd you say that, Eli? He had a uh, an epiphany, right? An epiphany. Yeah, and he decided that he was gonna he was gonna step away from side quests because it demanded quite a bit of his time. And while this is a ongoing passion project for everybody who has ever been involved, um, it doesn't always pay the bills. So you gotta gotta definitely decide to split your time well.
0: And don't ever let your hobbies be stressful. Uh, I feel like that's also important in GMing. If you ever have a game that starts to feel more like work than than having fun, then you should evaluate if that's a game you should be playing or running or if you need to change something up i completely agree with that i know that
1: uh in the past i've talked a lot about this entire world that i've been building and it feels like a lot of work sometimes but at the end of the day the only thing that i feel like it's work is the time required i love doing it uh i'm grateful to have that still with this hobby um you wanted to talk a little bit about a misstep that you took in an encounter in one of your most recent sessions.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I had this encounter with this, uh, this caterpillar, this like kind of dream caterpillar that spun out webs and cocoons that kind of formed illusions. And then when you fell into the illusions, it would like jump on top of you and then poison you. Um, And it would, it would spin all these webs, and once you were in the webs, you'd start to see illusions and smell, like, past memories in your childhood um, and just, like, memories of the past that were happy. And then the caterpillar would kind of, like, invisibly fall on you. And I sprung the trap a little bit too early in the sense that I, I let the party, like like the first two people I started asking about um, the detail like about their kind of their childhood like so I could help describe I started asking them some questions as they were going into the room and that just kind of caused the entire party to stop and I think what I should have done was waited until the party had kind of gone into the room um, and brought it up to the entire group What, what they were like you know, their their memories, the smells that they might be smelling, like kind of address the entire group instead of just the people in the front. Um, okay. Yeah, what, what ended up happening is they, they were kind of engaging with the trap and trying to kill this predatory caterpillar. And some people were just like, just gonna willing to just stay on the sidelines and just watch and you know, hope the rest of the party members survived. Um, and I... Th- I mean, I think if everyone has to deal with it, then I, I just felt like those players might, uh, were excluded from, from this encounter as it was happening, um, just by having a character that might've been more cautious and stayed back. Um, so.
1: So is this a learning experience for next time or is there a, uh, kind of did you figure out a way to pull in a solution before the end of the, the encounter there?
0: I think this is the next time. Um I I think I had looked at the encounter more as a as a as a uh, like a combat encounter um when it should have been more a narrative encounter because the the caterpillar it, it wasn't really a threat like once you once you saw it and were like oh my, my eyes are getting eaten by this caterpillar um like you, you had like five hit points, so you could just you hit it and it's pretty much dead. Right. Um. So, I think it should have been a more more of a focus on what was narratively happening um, with them, like what they were all seeing and how they were reacting to each other, acting strangely. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I think that that would really work out. It's it's an interesting thing. I love traps. I love puzzles and. I ended up looking up the uh, Wally, the DM traps and puzzle encounters. Not sure if you're familiar with some of his work online, but he's got a lot of really cool puzzle ideas. And prior to getting the experience through how he does his puzzles and everything, I was primarily a huge fan of Grimtooth's traps, which are made to be deadly and pretty much unsurvivable. I I liked I liked that method at first. But breaking into the puzzle aspect, um, that narrative option, I think that you've kind of come to the conclusion of. That's where I like to sit a lot of them.
0: I I already didn't I didn't run the encounter as a combat in the sense that I had them rolling initiative, mm-hmm. um, but I did kind of have uh, an order in which I'd ask them what was going on before I had you know the monster proceed and you know start to make its poisons um but i think that can be important is not uh like using combat encounter like combat mechanics without the initiative role cluing the parties in that there is a a com a thing that can be resolved with combat um even though it's kind of a more puzzly situation although not that you want players solving everything with combat.
1: <laughs> no, I I I think that's how they start, but as they develop their skills in the hobby, they they certainly get out of that. Um I I just recently introduced my players to a mechanic that they all voted on and they approved and that was addiction. So they ran into okay. a they ran into an NPC who was Completely addicted to essentially a hard drug. And he had been the inventor of the hard drug. The narcotic is initially invented for a um, medicinal purpose, to try to perform surgery, where it would be like a numbing anesthetic. So, yeah, he was he was an alchemist, a doctor, and he had nobody to test this on. So he tried it himself and completely got lost in the addictive properties to it. It ended up ravaging the entire city years ago and the slums are still completely addicted to it um, so
0: when you when you mean you've added addiction to the game how mm-hmm. are you like is it just something that narratively is added to your your campaign setting or do you have a systematic application of it
1: there are mechanics to it so on the back end my responsibility is when my players take certain, substances, um, everything from as lowly as alcohol to something as highly addictive as a a drug I have called uh, midnight oil, they obtain addiction points. And as that score increases, they become more reliant on their addiction. Um, What happens eventually is they get to a point where they no longer have a bonus for certain drugs, like, you know, for example, I'd say one drug will give somebody essentially, um, fast healing or or damage reduction, something, something simple, narratively numbs the pain kind of thing. And eventually, it comes to the point where you no longer get the bonus and you have to take drugs to simply not have negative
0: side effects while you're not on the drug and then if if i may ask where did you get this uh this drug system did you make it yourself or did you are you stealing some of the ideas and concepts
1: i want to say that i came across the idea of addiction uh in an alternative rule system and then i think i'm ending up playing off of a sanity system okay um so I think that's how I ended up doing it. I don't remember. Uh, it's it's been kind of in my my toolbox for a while, and I'm I'm usually not not the one who's going to play with addiction. I'm like, you know what? Most heroes don't want to do that anyway. But my players, all of them in every campaign, was like, yeah, let's get addicted to drugs. So, fuck it.
0: <laughs> I, I think that's uh, a little bit that's a little bit unusual for like a fantasy setting. I think I normally associate that kind of like like players really going hard into addictions is in like a cyberpunk uh, or a modern setting.
1: I That's where I've seen it most or even um, horror games like Paranoia. Yeah, uh, very common. So why they all wanted to do drugs, I have no idea. But... They they opted for it, and I figured that the the starting point would not be for them to get their hands on drugs, but to kind of see the effects of what certain drugs do. And yeah, this one in specific um, is do, super. Yeah,
0: do all your drugs like are they like are all the drugs that the players have available? Are they all intended to be like performance enhancing, like stats or ability boosting, or no? No. Um, like I said, this one in particular
1: um, is really designed to be a uh, an anesthetic for um, numbing pain for surgery. So it's more of a medical drug. And the huge possible side effects is that there's a twenty percent chance of the user developing solopsism, which is a spell back from 3035 where the target only thinks they are the only thing in reality. So it's only just them. They can completely devoid to everything in the world. They become numb to absolutely everything. Um so that's a fun drug. <laughs> you twenty percent chance, um, and it's it's mechanically written, so you only ever have to make the save one time. Um, then, as long as you make the save the one time, you'll just gain addiction points like normal. You fail the save, sorry, buddy, you're useless now. How uh, well, you know, if you're gonna your players all voted on it that's awesome they they did and it's kind of of weird like it's again it's the first time I'm really playing with uh, things like this and one of my players asked before they said yeah let's go ahead and do it they asked if it was all like real world drugs or if it's going to be all fantasy drugs I'm like well they're going to be fantasy we're not going to be talking about street drugs that are real Uh, maybe some influences but not you know word for word same same yeah but it's interesting.
0: Oh no, that makes me excited! I'm actually, cause i have actually because I bet my players would love a uh, a, a a drug mechanic. Oh. I mean, something like yellow tea would da- not yellow mold tea, right? I know that is the that is the already the start of them making dangerous and um, hallucinogenic or yeah, otherwise exciting drinks. Oh, is this pen really Ooh, nope. Right. So I i think it's cool
1: and I'm excited to see where it goes. I've got the the drug that I mentioned where they have a side effect of solopsism is it's called chocolate mithril out of all random <laughs> things. Um and then the NPC who created it, his backstory, I just like you know, people just refer to it as Coco M. <laughs> so um I have to laugh about it because it's the only way to take the sharp edge
0: off of something. It's so dangerous. Now, were were you inspired at all um, by the the drugs and alcohols that are in uh, Everyday Heroes?
1: I was not inspired by them. I started writing them beforehand. Okay. However, I I like that because Everyday Heroes is a new game just
0: released. Yeah, we got we got a cool opportunity to get our hands on uh the everyday heroes. Uh it's the like the, the core book. Yeah. And two of their adventures.
1: Yeah, that was the Crow and Escape from New York. So I'm digging it. Now it's uh <clears throat> excuse me, if I remember correctly, we are completely allowed to talk about it because they lifted their embargo on the 13th. So Everyday Heroes, sure Evil Genius Games. And I'm a huge fan of Evil Genius Games. They don't have a full list of current products, um, which is really hard for me to find because I've been following them for a little bit. I'm really appreciative of all the work that they've done and all their things. Um, I had a chance to sit down and talk with them a little bit at gen con in 2022 so i thought that was exciting and what they were telling us at the time about everyday heroes is that it is really truthfully a modern setting of closer to everyday heroes um I, right I don't know the, how
0: right. quite everyday heroes this plays to. I, I mean, it feels like maybe everyday action hero. Yes. Um, but it's it's nice. It uses the the 5e setting or, or the 5e system in terms of advantage and disadvantage, a D20, mm-hmm. um, proficiency bonuses. So I don't think we'll talk too much about that, but everything else it seems like it's been custom made for this modern setting right
1: and if i remember correctly this is the same team that wrote d20 modern back when 30 and 35 was uh kind of king of the hill so it's the updated version or i want not i don't even want to say updated version it's just the um not even newest incarnation or iteration but same team same setting
0: I Idea. was not very excited by the D twenty modern system. Really? Um, and I, I honestly think it was more of a product of the the three point five system. And okay. I think I'm not normally a fan of five E in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, but I, I actually am a quite a fan of the five E system used in this modern setting.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Um I don't have the world's greatest experience in 5e and one thing that I really excuse me one thing that I really like that they do in the core rulebook is that they kind of say hey if you're new to 5e completely these are some of the things that you're going to pick up on and they say if you are used to 5e these are some of the things that you're familiar with and here are going to be some of the changes. Um so I like that they call that out. It's really effective and it kind of prepares people that they They know that they're going to get into something that's similar, but different, still the same, but modified.
0: I I think it's a really incredibly well-written rule book as well. Um, There's a lot of details. There's a lot of uh, like bolded titles that draw your attention to like core concepts in playing and game mastering um, that draw your eye to like core concepts that you need (laughs) to use. Um, and I think the, even the, like, this core book includes both the, like, the player side and then the back half, the back two thirds of it is for game masters, which I think is always a great, a great thing. Cause that way I, every player will read some of the game master, you know, like learn concepts. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, I,
1: I remember when I, I had sent this to you so you could take a look at it, I said they kind of pulled a page out of, Paiso's book, because pulling that page out of Paiso's book, having the core rule book all in um, one volume means buying less books, having to do less shopping, and really not having to spread yourself so thin. It lowers the monetary um, gate to get into. So, yeah, one core rule book is is a fantastic idea. <laughs>
0: yeah I think it really can uh can also encourage players to become game masters more and like or not even become game masters, but be more cognizant of what the game master is doing or trying to do or the concepts absolutely. Um, I think just being on the same page and I'm playing in a game with a bunch of game masters and I feel like it's it's easier to pick up and follow each other what what each other is trying, like the, the story beats that we're trying to follow or uh, the pacing that we're trying to lay down. Yeah,
1: I, I, I like the fact that once you um, look at it, if you're not just learning the system, you don't generally... Spread yourself across the book, but when you're learning the system, you look into the game rules and you look into the game mastering aspect of it, so you understand kind of how your actions work, how your turns work, um, how your uh, your flow should work, etc. And this book does a really good job at explaining that easily, so it's it's easy to follow.
0: It, um, it also has a lot of really great like basic in instructions for GMs or new players who are getting into GMs. It's like, a, I feel a lot oftentimes there are GMs books that are written for like, like almost like they're written for like a higher class or like a, like an intermediate or advanced game master. And sometimes you just need to tell like basic con, like kind of core concepts of game mastering and outline that. And I think it does a really good job of, of doing that it talks about like the pros and cons of different ways of encounter prepping and adventure designing and i i I think it's really well written
1: absolutely one of the things that i want to point out that i I absolutely love that the uh i don't i'm not gonna say the system does but the book itself does um there is two things that I, I, i don't want to read verbatim i'll read one of the paragraphs verbatim and this is something not a lot of books call out, and that's not rolling. So, everyday heroes, verbatim, before calling for a roll, ask yourself if both success and failure would be interesting. If it would be more interesting for the player to notice something, or get through a locked door, or know an important piece of lore, you don't need to call for a roll. You can just decide it happens similarly if a failure has no consequence and a hero can try again until they succeed there's no need for a roll. um a lot of a lot of times new dms uh, and newer experienced players will come across a point where they're going to roll to do something that ultimately they don't have to roll it should just kind of happen automatically and the book that calls that out really says a lot because it's not something people generally see in the book. They don't look at it as an option. That's well, yeah, it's a low DC, but you're gonna roll and succeed anyway. Then why roll? We tell our our new DMs that all the time. So calling it out in the book is fantastic.
0: I, I think this book does an exceptional like like I said, I think this book is perfectly written for like an action hero game and i think it does a really great job of conveying that theme throughout like throughout all the rules throughout like the language that they're using to describe encounters and actions even to like the all the classes abilities that Mm -hmm. they have all are actions or verbs um and they all they're all very very thematic so yeah yeah
1: How did you, uh, did you get to the, uh, the doubling down? What was the doubling down? Uh, Page 316, Mastering the Game in Part 3. If you want to add extra tension and a tough player choice, when a character fails a roll, you can offer to let them double down. They can roll again, but if they fail, the consequences will be worse. Or they can accept the initial failure and deal with the original consequences.
0: I, that's awesome. I, I think that's a cool mechanic. I, I think that fits
1: almost any scenario. I think it, I think it works. I think the, uh, the doubling down aspect will allow for, um, I'm actually, I just might steal it for what I'm, what I'm doing in some of my games. So, yeah, let's take a look at, Uh, some of the expanded classes that they've got. Here we are. All right, yeah, it looks like we're having some technical difficulties, which is okay. We'll have to make sure that we do a light edit here.
0: Hey there! Welcome back. I don't know what you're talking about. You just froze for a while.
1: <laughs> uh, I look like I fr- uh, see on my end. You look like he froze.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Well, hotel Wi-Fi sucks.
1: It's all right. It's all right. Like I said, it'll be a fun episode to edit.
0: Anyways, I I, I really enjoy this uh, Everyday Heroes core core rulebook.
1: Yeah. I while. Uh, In your technological issue absence here, I was reading through some of the uh, some of the mechanics that I really liked, and I noticed a few things that stand out really, um, really well. First one is that did you notice that character levels don't seem to go past level 10? Yep. I like that. It feels way less overpowered. It also feels like the issue of power creep, which is something that you had mentioned when we wanted to talk about this, may be an issue. After reading a little bit about it, I don't think that's the case. I think it really falls in line with uh, what Marvel multiverse kind of looks at as street level heroes. So uh, I dig that aspect. It gives it a grounded feel. I like that a lot. How about the wealth system? Did you kind of check that out?
0: Oh, I really like the wealth system um, where basically you had like a number between like one and or zero and seven and you would get that's like those are the items that you would have around the yep. items of your number were like things you had one, one of maybe. So, yep, I like that. Uh, anything
1: that falls under your wealth level is easily accessible. Anything that's above, you can ask your DM and they would have to figure out kind of how they're going to make it available to you how you have to earn more cash to do that
0: Um, i i I did see a little bit where like when you're when you have a wealth system like that you can't you don't like it's hard to bring up money and they didn't really address that in the adventure where they have like they they're being charged to enter a, a an establishment um they don't really address how to talk to your players like that when they don't really have a concept of how much money they might have on them So. I thought that was maybe a little bit of my, a very minor miss, but aside from that, I, I like the wealth system.
1: Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, the first time I came across it was in Mutants and Masterminds. Uh, their system very similar, pretty much. You have either the money to do or not to do, um, and from there it was
0: it was quick and easy. What did you think about their version of spell casting, which is the the plans? Uh
1: so. I'm not a huge spellcaster fan. Uh, I'll, I'll be adamant that I usually don't play or look into a lot of spellcasting. The way that they set up their plans, I thought was effective and easy to grasp. But the way they, um, the way that they categorize their heroes, I believe that they called most of the smart heroes or the uh, heroes that can plan. Okay, spells complex um, it doesn't make it as I not I, I, easy to understand easy to follow if that makes sense
0: um, well, well I, I think that their their complexity scale uh, mm-hmm. is more about how easy it's going to be to pl- I mean to play their character in the game not mm-hmm. necessarily all just their rules because I don't think that their the plans aren't extremely difficult, uh, but playing a character that is very one-sided, where your entire thing is you're a scientist, like... It, That's what I'm looking at right now. Like, it, it's... It can just be a little bit more difficult, I feel, in the in the role-playing aspect, and sometimes you can pigeonhole yourself, because with the plans, some of them are, are very specific, and instead of having, like, 20 spells or something, you'll only have like one to four plans that you can use. And some of them only apply in like chase style scenes um, or like in kind of more narrative half beats. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that can be just tough to integrate into a table. Uh,
1: Potentially. What I do like about their their plan system is that as you have the plans, um, they change based on your level. So as you gain levels, your plans become more effective. I like how that also translates very well into, as you gain experience,
0: you develop more thorough plans. And the the plans are exactly what it sounds like. So like they'll be like you know like when you're watching like a heist movie, Ocean's Eleven, where like you know the. You, You come up to a situation and there's an exchange and they get past the security and you're kind of like, what happened there? And there's a flashback. That's kind of like their ability is to be like, oh, this is a situation I prepared for. And then they have some effect on the scene. Right. Right.
1: Now, one thing that we had uh, briefly touched on was character levels seem to cap out between nine and ten. How long do you think it's going to last before uh, either fans of the game homebrew 10 and above, or we release something that allows characters to experience higher level, more power uh, to get off the streets and become uh, superheroes?
0: I, I think that would be a great like follow up in the in, like, game series where they're like oh this is everyday heroes and then they've got like a weekly heroes or you know like the next step step up right? Um, and if they just start that leveling system at like 11 or 10 or i, I think that would work best I, I i don't think this game would benefit from more levels no how do you think it would uh, really benefit well, I, I don't think it'll benefit with more levels. I think right. 10 is a great number because I, I think that these these style heroes are used for like, I mean, when you watch an action hero series, the first one's great. The second one's fine. And then the third one, you really just only have like hardcore fans of the series that keep watching anything past three it and you I, think that's, like, I think that's what you're going to see with these uh, this this game is that you, you want to do like a movie series. And then so you have like maybe three adventures with your characters. And then you're going to want to play a different character. Um, I think that they're like they haven't like a variable enough uh, like skills and abilities. And I think you're going to want to play something different. That's fair. That's fair. The multi-classing isn't incredibly deep, so they really want you to play into maybe one one theme with like a twist. Yeah, one character uh, the, trope. Yeah, the the multi-classing is kind of uh, it's handled by taking a feat, um, which gives you some abilities that are similar to another class, um, and it just kind of takes the focus away from that multi-classing, and it's just like. As a movie star or, you know, as an action hero, you want to, like, keep that identity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. And I think it also plays really well into the two adventures that they have compatible with Everyday Heroes, their Escape from New York and The Crow. I also think it plays really well into a lot of the other adventures that they're going to release, such as uh, Rambo, if I remember correctly, for one of them. So the entire presence and idea is really cinematic adventures and cinematic action heroes. Um, I love that. They're all uh, actually licensed, so they're not some ripoff.
0: Which, uh, which one do you want to talk about first?
1: Uh, well, we got Escape from New York and The Crow in front of us. And as much as I love The Crow's thematic elements, I think we both agree Escape from New York has a better
0: system to it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's harder to pull off the crow. Um, I think they do a good job of having two adventures here as an example of two entirely different styles of playing. I think mm-hmm. the Everyday from New York adventure plays a lot more, like, action forefront um, with some role-playing on the side, while in the crow it's more of, uh, like, the narr- the narration and the role-playing will come out to the forefront more and the combat is, is more of a side effect of, Mm -hmm. of those, those, those role-playing choices. Um, While I I think the, the New York one plays a little bit more like you've got a scene, you got to do this, go here, do that. Um, I think it's, I guess one's more of a, a pushing adventure and one more just like brings the players in. So.
1: Yeah. And I think if you, if you open them up, both side by side and kind of look at the table of contents, you really get that different feel straight away. Um, one of them has the escape from New York, for example, has all of your hero options, background professions, classes, feats, equipments. Um, the crow will have a few pages for each. Most of them are based off of uh, the reborn aspect of the crow. So the butterfly, cat, mastiff, crow, moth, owl, etc. Um, both of them introduce new bits to the the game mechanics. The Crow is ritual magic, yeah. and the um, the Escape from New York is street cred, crazies disease, and weapons with multiple damage types. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it seems like one of them falls hard into that mechanic aspect, like you had uh, touched upon, and one of them falls really into the narrative aspect um
0: that's and that's I hard might be having some more technical difficulties but uh if you can still hear me we can still hear you oh perfect um I was gonna say so I I read the there's there's 52 pages of introduction before the adventures to New York mm-hmm. and there's a 47 page introduction to the crow and I recorded those numbers because I read the two like introductions and they felt so completely different. the The gangs of New York, or the was it the gangs of New York. York? Escape from New York? Oh, Escape from New York! Escape from New York. There's, there's got so much. It, it feels more like a back or a setting book with an adventure set in that area. While the Crow, it almost introduces more a style and a style of playing, and introduces you to how to play in the in the crows universe um,
1: both of those are really good aspects and i think they're
0: both um super interesting which one did you like more
1: i was worried i lost you there for a second again um honestly i it's hard to tell because again i love the thematic elements of the crow but i like the way the escape from new york presents itself more right. I, I think the presentation captures my attention to both the mechanic aspect and the ability to run the game whereas you know what maybe i'm thinking about it wrong as i'm thinking about this i think escape from new york allows me to feel like my hand is being held a little farther um, along the way. And the crow requires me to have a little bit more independent uh, look at it.
0: I would, I would agree on that, uh, that take. I, I think the, the escape from New York is probably an adventure that I would run. Like no matter my, my skill level, Mm -hmm. um, and the crow feels like a great adventure to run if you're getting into gming and you want to start to use more role-playing aspects um like really embrace uh, your your like y- yes and in your in your game mastering style and like building your players backstories together into a cohesive story i think it's a great introduction to doing that and it has a lot of steps and it like walks you through how you should address different issues um how you should avoid issues uh in your game and running a game with maybe a little bit more uh, uh the crow has more like R rated themes mm-hmm. um and so how to run that at a table do you want to talk so, about a little bit of the adventures specifically
1: um as much as I would like to i think i think we've been able to talk about everyday heroes in a way that's going to help people kind of get into it because Again, we're both excited enough to say that we like it more than 5th edition standard.
0: Yeah, so. I, I would I I've played in 5E games, I'd never run one, but I'd be excited to play or run a game of Everyday Heroes. I think that's the the kicker Same. there.
1: Same. I I've played in 5E and it was acceptable. Everyday Heroes is exciting looking. So I like that. I think we could leave it at that. The adventures, while we like them both and we're excited to see the other ones that come up because there's going to be quite a few of them. I'd like to hear if we can get some listener opinions on them, uh, hopefully sooner than later, because this is one of those things that as a new product, we need to get the word out. So um, certainly I don't think we need to go in depth.
0: Are we able to give out adventures?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. We'll so, see. We'll see, how, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but uh... yeah, again, this is uh, Everyday Heroes by Evil Genius Games and really excited to see them grow and how Everyday Heroes does. Um, cool. Now, Eli, you are traveling at the moment, hence some of our technological issues. Yes, uh, I'm hoping to avoid a blizzard tomorrow. Yeah, that's kind of the my issue here with the being in the Midwest. Um, so uh, we're not sure exactly how long this episode is going to go through after being edited. So I'd like to apologize to our listeners for some of our uh, unusual edits and unusual transitions right now, primarily because of uh, how'd you put it? Hotel Wi-Fi sucks.
0: Yes, it, indeed it does.
1: So, uh Hopefully we'll be able to have everything sorted, straightened out. Uh, Let's kind of wrap it up for tonight, though. I know I'm back to my normal work schedule as well. So we'll uh, catch you guys next time. Check us out on epictablegames.com,
0: Facebook, the whole deal. Roll some crits. Happy holidays. Peace out.